Welcome to Maleficence, a no BS true crime podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Jess. And today I have two cases for you that we're talking about. The disappearance of Zachary Porter and Peter Sean Kosky. So the story is of two young men who are missing from McMinnville, Oregon. They went missing and less than a year apart. And though the cases are not connected, at least not at all that we know about, both of their families are still searching for answers and hoping to one day be able to lay their sons to rest properly. So we'll start with Zachary Porter. In the summer of 2013, 25-year-old Zachary Porter was just appreciating and enjoying his life. He was a father to a five-year-old little boy. He was living with his parents to help care for his mother and had many friends that loved him and supported him and all that he was doing. They were even working on planning a birthday party for him and one of his other friends at the end of July. So earlier in the summer, he traded his BMW that he loved to a buyer on Craigslist in exchange for a motorcycle and a few thousand dollars cash. As I mentioned, Zach was a single father to a young boy. So I'm assuming at some point he realized it wasn't the best mode of transportation for him. That's just speculation. But whatever the case was, he decided shortly after that he was going to sell the bike. So he posted it back on Craigslist and the same buyer that traded it to him reached back out to Zach and offered him $12,000 cash to buy back the motorcycle. He had apparently saved and wanted to get it back. And so this sounded like a great opportunity for Zach. He had worked with him before um, and he wanted to sell the bike. At about noon on July 23rd, 2013, he headed to North Bend, Oregon to sell back the bike. He had reached out to some friends to see if anyone would be able to go with him or accompany him on the trip. But as far as we know, no one was available. How far was that from like where he was to where he needed to go? Yeah. So the drive from McMinnville to North Bend is about four hours. Okay. And Zach would need a way to get back home. He's driving it down there. Oh, I was just going to say, how's he getting back if he's dropping off? Yeah, that's a good question. Transportation. (laughs) Yeah. So no one was able to go with him or that we know of would be able to pick him up. So out of options, he arranged a plan with the buyer who had allegedly stated he had a business trip to Seattle. So he was able to drop Zach back at home on his way to the business trip. Okay. Now, to ensure that Zach would be able to get back home, he even left the title to the bike at his house. So kind of like, here's the bike. When you drop me off at home, you can have the title. Oh, that's so smart. I didn't mm-hmm. think about that. Yeah. So Zach headed out by himself that that morning up between 11 and 12. Shortly after he arrived in North Bend, he texted his father that he made it safely. He later sent a text to another friend saying he sold the bike and was heading home. Zach's parents, Myron and Rebecca, knew that Zach would likely not be home until later that evening because it was such a long drive, but probably 
probably not till around seven or so. But Myron stated in in an article for the News Register, quote, even by 4 p.m., something just didn't feel right. He said, in the pit of my stomach, I knew something wasn't right. And he was not wrong because Zachary never arrived home that night. And so his parents reported him missing. Zach had a phone. He would always call his son and tell him good night if he was out of the house. Like when he'd go out with friends and stuff, he always called his son to say good night, like check in. And at the very least, he would have let someone know if he was running really late or if something was holding him up. Like he was very reliable. Well, it kind of seems out of character because even as an adult, you know, our parents always want us to check in. And I, I totally suck at that. I remember I was terrible at that when I was a kid, too. But he made it there and even checked in with his dad. He was mm-hmm. like, hey, I made it. So he's definitely it's out of character to not be in communication. Yeah. And he lives with his parents. So even if it, it wasn't just that he forgot and went home, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So it was just strange and out of character. Um. At first, the investigators wondered if Zach may have just run off. You know, they they do that. They always think that. And part of it was he had a lot of cash from the sale of the bike. And he had always talked about how he dreamed of going to Los Angeles and opening a body shop of his own and had apparently been saving money towards that dream. But why would you do that and just ditch your kid? Well, and how, were, how were you going to get there? You sold the bike, your transportation. That's what doesn't make sense. And it didn't make sense to Zach's parents either. They never believed that was an option, like even for a second. And pretty quickly, investigators dropped that theory as well. Mm. There was a few things that just didn't seem to make sense. And one of them was, as I stated, Zach texted his father that he had arrived. But... After that, he reportedly sent another message to a friend saying that he had sold the bike and was heading home. But even investigators and the family believe the way that the texts were written out made them think that he wasn't the one who sent them. When they compared it to his normal text, it just didn't match up. He never used dot, dot, dot to start messages. Or there were some sources that talk about ellipses that were used that just didn't line up with the way that he would text. Like it just didn't seem like it was him. And that sounds silly, but I feel like, you know, when you You text with someone, you know how they write, like what they do. Yeah. You know, those mannerisms, just like you would in person. Like if someone, you could tell if their like energy's off, like you can just tell same thing with texts. Like there's certain things that are, you know, identifiable. Yeah, absolutely. Not only that, but Zach left all of his important papers at home. If he was just going to randomly go and start a new life, he would need documents like social security, ID, like those sort of things. And he didn't take them with him. Like he'd need those or someone to help him disappear. Not only that, but the title is also back at the house. Oh, yeah. So it just didn't seem like it was set up for him to just run away. And also in this day and age, it takes immense resources to disappear and stay under the radar. Like this was almost 10 years ago this month, but it's still 2013. Yeah, but why? I mean, do they even have any reason? Like, was he fighting with his son's mom? Was there any contention at home? Like, anything like that to ditch? Like, that's what I don't get. Like, I guess sometimes wanting to leave your life and, you know, maybe maybe being able to, like, ditch out on your parents, but your kid, mm-hmm. like, that you're that close to where you call them every night, you're with them all the time. Like, he was an active father, it sounds like. So yeah. to just leave your child. 
Yeah. And I think that's why they dismissed that theory pretty quickly, both investigators and obviously the family, because it just wasn't like that. Like he wasn't having major issues or anything. And Zach was also the primary caregiver for his mother, Rebecca, who had just had a lengthy procedure done for a neurological disorder. And Zach's father, Myron, said he would never desert her in her time of need. So he would also never leave his son, as we already stated. One of Zach's best qualities was how much he cared for his son and the women in his life, like his mother and his grandmother. Yeah. As I stated earlier, it's also reported Zach had been planning a joint birthday party for him and one of his friends that was set to happen three days after he disappeared. Zach's birthday was July 17th. He had barely turned 25 before he went missing. But his friends and family insist he would never just bailed on the plans. Like, it just isn't making sense. So yeah. they they know like he didn't he didn't just take off. So investigators are starting to operate on a new theory. He's missing and he may be in danger. Now, and that's not to say that they're suspecting foul play, but just that he could be in danger. So investigators started with the last person they know who saw Zach, which was the buyer on Craigslist that Zach was meeting. Um, So they reached out to him and he confirmed Zach arrived to sell the bike. But the buyer stated that he never plan to give Zach a ride home. The buyer said that Zach made plans for a friend to pick him up. And when their business was done, he said he dropped him off at the Myrtlewood factory so Zach could meet his ride. Now, investigators looked at all the surveillance they could, and they said in an article, quote, Porter was last seen between 4 and 6 p.m. Tuesday, July 23rd, near Highway's 101 intersection with North Bay Road. It's the site of an ATV rental business lying north of Coos Bay in the community of Hauser, which is right where their Myrtle factory is. Um, Now, I cannot find for sure who saw him then. Was it the buyer that placed him there? And that's what we're going off of? Or was other witnesses that can confirm the buyer's story that he dropped Zach off and then left? So... Sergeant Pat Downings told the news register that after that, quote, we just cannot track him any further, end quote. The buyer has always been a person of interest, but he has never been labeled a suspect. Searchers were down both of the stretches of the highway near McMinnville and Coos County, but nothing turned up any trace of Zach. No one has ever come forward to say that they were going to be picking Zach up and he has never been seen since. The investigator stated that there's no proof foul play was involved, but it has been 10 years this month, July 23rd, and many searches later, and no one has ever found Zach or his remains. Zach would be 35 years old this year. His son is now about 15, 16, and left with no answers. Although they made sure he knew his father would never abandon him, it's still really unfortunate that he doesn't know what happened. In February of 2021, Zachary Bashir Porter was officially declared deceased. And in April of 2021, the Secretary of the Interior, Deb Haaland, announced the formation of a new missing and murdered unit with the, with the Bureau of Indian Affairs Office of Justice Services. 
the unit, the U.S. attorney also published a report on 11 missing indigenous people in Oregon, and one of those being Zach. The report is part of a campaign that's aimed to investigate the epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous persons. And according to the U.S. Department of Interior Indian Affairs website, statistics show, quote, that approximately 1,500 American Indian and Alaska Native missing persons have been entered into the National Crime Information Center, or NCIC, throughout the U.S., and approximately 2,700 cases of murder and non-negligent homicide offenses have been reported to the federal government's Uniform Crime Reporting Program in total. The BIA estimates there are approximately 4,200 missing and murdered cases that have gone unsolved. These investigations remain unsolved often due to lack of investigative resources available to identify new information from witness testimony, re-examine new or retained material evidence, as well as reviewing fresh activities of suspects, end quote. So the Justice Department plans to distribute resources to help support these ongoing cases while hoping to prevent any future cases from occurring. Yeah. So that, and that was just in 2021. So they're trying to get more activity and more resources for his case, which he a hundred percent deserves. So it's still an open investigation. Like they're still doing work on this case. Yeah. Yeah. I think it went so many questions a while. And my reporter has a Facebook page, which I used for um, researching some of this. It's called finding Zach Porter. And he has always posted on there every week. He posts any updates, um, uh, anything that comes up for him. Like he has never, ever stopped fighting for his son. And so even though I think the case has been cold for a while, you know, everybody was excited in 2021 when it finally started picking up some steam again. There hasn't been a lot after that about what maybe has happened with these new investigations, but hopefully we'll have answers. I just, I'd like, what's, I mean, do they, are they just not releasing a lot of information because it's not a high profile case in the odd, you know, like in the public, because it's like, did they track his cell phone? That'd be a great way to get answers. Did they question all the friends and family to see if someone was supposed to give him a ride? Why did the motorcycle guy, what was his, like, if he wasn't planning on giving him a ride, then what was his response to, oh, I don't have the title with me. He just bought the bike with no title. Like, I have so many questions. Yeah, that's some of the stuff that I have for like speculation. I do know from personal experience that they messaged everybody they knew Zach knew to get their last text messages and inquiries with him. I do not know the the problem is, is there is such little information on his case. And that has always, always bothered me. And I don't know if it's because he's indigenous or if it's because they don't know if there was actually foul play. I I don't know, but I know that there is a handful of articles and that's it. Yeah. This is why missing people always, um, we can speculate on this more, but this is why um, missing people always, you know, intrigues me in the way it does, because how do you just vanish like that? Yeah. Literal no trace. Yeah, it's, it's. I don't know. It's heartbreaking. And it's so, so sad. I do. I have so many questions about this case. But 
Zach was last seen wearing blue jeans, a dark colored t-shirt with wording down the front. Zach is about six foot tall, 180 pounds with an olive complexion. And if you have any information on what happened to Zachary Porter or his whereabouts, please reach out to the Coos County Sheriff's Office at 541-396-2016 or the McMinnville Police Department at 503-434-7307. The second case that I have for you today is also, like I said, from McMinnville, Oregon, and it is Peter Sean Kosky. 24-year-old Peter Sean Kosky, who went by his middle name, Sean, so you'll see that in all of the sources, was last seen on September 30th, 2012 at his cousin's house in McMinnville, Oregon. Sean's cousin lived in the Miller Woods area of McMinnville, which is a nature preserve. He had recently been hoping that he could move in with his cousin, but had learned that day because of his illness that he wouldn't be able to move in with his cousin and that it, that just wouldn't be a good idea. See, Sean suffered from serious epilepsy, so he was unable to drive or even live alone. He needed oh, constant wow. care. Mm-hmm. He required consistent medication and supervision. There was even a time that he had a seizure while trying to cross the street and was hit by a car and hospitalized. Oh, my God. That's so scary. It is. Yeah. And yeah, super heartbreaking. So the night of his disappearance on September 30th, 2012, Sean, his cousin and her boyfriend and the roommate were all watching a movie together. At about 1015, everybody but Sean headed off to bed. Um, Sean was still watching TV, but when the roommate got back up a while later to get water, Sean was no longer there. No one panicked right away, but when the morning came and he was still unaccounted for, Sean's cousin and her boyfriend reported Sean missing immediately. Because like I said, he needed some care, so it was pretty serious pretty quick. Immediately that morning, a search was launched for Sean. The house was surrounded by 130 acres of wooded area. The only way in or out was by a single gravel road. Sean also left behind all of his belongings. He was a smoker, and he left behind his cigarettes, his medication, his wallet. He didn't take any food or clothing with him. Nothing. Sean is also a tall guy. He stands at about 6 foot 2 and is about 180 pounds. He was last seen wearing, a lot of sources say he was not wearing a shirt. So he may or may not have a shirt on, but he had green pajama bottoms and flip-flops. So he wasn't dressed. Yeah, and late September in Oregon can get start getting cold, Mm -hmm. especially at night. Well, especially in the woods, too. Yeah. You know, he definitely wasn't dressed to to be anywhere long-term. To be out trucking, Yeah. Yeah. And Sean was really close with his family, especially his mother and sister. And they had never been out of touch with him for this long. So they knew it was not right. And they did the search, but the search found no evidence of him. None. Even though it consisted of about 25 people, three horses, two dogs, and a helicopter. They searched the area around the house for months, even using cadaver dogs and drained They drained the ponds. Nothing came up. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. And Sean was considered missing and endangered. Because of his medical condition? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So his family started a Facebook page called Peter Sean Kosky to try and get information as well as keep him on the forefront of the public's mind, which I remember this case. And I remember there was a lot of news coverage on it at first. They were really trying to get any information or find out where he was. His father even posted a $5,000 reward for information, but nothing came up. Nobody saw him. They didn't find evidence of him. Nothing. And family and friends have always maintained that Sean was goofy, fun-loving man. He loved rugby. He cared a lot for those in his life. But for a bit, there was speculation that he had been hanging out with a rough crowd in the months leading up to his death and reports that he may have owed a drug dealer money, which complicated the case even further. There is some some reports that say that he was smoking marijuana and possibly doing heroin, but... I'm hesitant to state that as fact because I just don't, I don't know, you know, I don't actually know if that was true or not. So that's where that whole possibly owing a drug dealer money comes from, you know, as I think that's a theory on maybe what could have happened. But regardless, in 2013, the family and Schumer and Sons, which is like a construction company, did an epilepsy walk slash run in Portland in order to honor Sean, which they continue to do, to do yearly in order to honor him and his epilepsy oh, um, and keep his name out in the public. And then flash forward to 2015, Sean's sandals were found by another property owner while he was out hunting. They were on the edge of a ravine just about a mile away from the house where Sean was last seen, but it happened to be about 100 yards outside of the search parameters. Oh my gosh, so close, but so far. What I don't understand is, did they only search like one mile, like radius? Like that was it? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because I was like, I probably, I don't know. Would have kept, yeah. But still, one mile in a ravine in that area where it's wooded and all that kind of stuff to travel that far in flip flops. That's true. I didn't that's, even think about that's that. That's a far part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Especially because, like I said, they were on the edge of the ravine. So they, I don't know, the family and like people wondered if he actually made it that far. Like you said, that's a long way to go. Or if they were planted years ago. Yeah. The family then raised money to hire a private investigator named Ray Markham. But with little to no evidence, the case still remains unsolved. They don't have a lot to go on. They don't know, like, did somebody show up and he got in a car? It was... Do you know what I mean? Did he walk off somewhere with the sandals planted? They don't have much of anything. There's no leads, it sounds like. Yeah. Do they ha- Have they ever questioned and, you know, has like the cousin and them been a people of interest at all? Anything weird, like with who was in the house when he disappeared? That's what um, this, this doesn't have much more information than Zach's did. It's all the kind of the same information. But as far as like what's on the Facebook page and what I read, they did thoroughly, you know, investigate and talk to the people that were there at the house. Him and his cousin were really close. Um, and I, there's just not any evidence that they were involved. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Sean has brown hair blue eyes he has a chipped like broken teeth and at the time of his disappearance he also had like a small beard like face scruff 
He has a large tattoo on his back that says, quote, only God can judge me, end quote. And again, he was last seen wearing green pajama pants and flip-flops, maybe a shirt. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Peter Sean Kosky, please call the Yamhill County Sheriff's Office at 503-434-7506. His family and his loved ones don't believe that he is alive still, but they deserve to have answers and they want to be able to lay Sean to rest properly. That is all of the factual information that I could find on the case, um, both of these cases. Um, So if you guys want to stick around for speculation, I do a few other things that I found that aren't necessarily confirmed. Zach, I know I read on the Facebook page that Zach's family sent off his DNA, like his toothbrush, his razor and all that. Um, So it's possible that if we ever do find remains, they should be able to match them to Zach. Because I've always wondered in this case, like, it's such a large four hours worth of travel. Like, what if he did get a ride and something happened closer to home? Do you know what I mean? There's so much space. And every single time there's a body that's found, I immediately think of Zach. And so I've always wondered... I used to go through... um, Because Zach's case is what got me interested in true crime... And I used to go through the the Doe network and just see if oh, there yeah. was anything found that maybe would match him. Because I was always afraid that what if we did find him? And we and, just don't know it. Yeah. Um, but a, allegedly, his they did give his DNA over. So it should be being held on file. That's good. I can't ever hear this case and not think the Craigslist guy. Because I'm just like, when you think about it, and again, I'm not an investigator, but when you think about it, he left the title at home. Mm-hmm. So he's just saying he was okay with Zach coming and giving him 12 grand for a motorcycle without a title. Yeah. Absolutely not. I don't buy it. <laughs> That's what I'm like. They have, they prefer good reason. I Assuming that he's innocent until proven guilty. They haven't released the man's name, but I've always wondered that too, because do they have I have questions. <laughs> I have questions I have so about so many, many questions. <laughs> One, yeah, did they track Zach's cell phone? I'm assuming he had his cell phone so they can't physically go through it. But like, what about pings? Like, did it sh- ping anywhere? Like, you know, did it show for sure he was at the Myrtle fa- Myrtlewood factory? But not only that, this guy, like, if you think about who had the motive, Zach went down there by himself. We know that for sure. So we yeah. didn't like have friends or anything that are close to him that might have done something to him for the money but it's a big motive like can they prove that the guy gave him the twelve thousand dollars you know what i mean like does the bank statements like and what happened to the motorcycle did the cops confiscate it then since it was like should have been evidence right yeah so i believe that the guy was able to to keep it like he still had it he probably just applied for like a different title i have no idea but i don't think they confiscated it and Zach's father, Myron, is so patient when you're reading through the Facebook stuff. You know, he addresses yeah. like they can't always tell us what they're doing. You know, like they're doing the best we can, even if you guys aren't hearing about it. Like, so, but a lot of people have that question. It just seems weird. There's like means, motive, and opportunity with this Craigslist guy. But we've Especially never. Since the text messages he sent to his family, they, you know, if it's someone, if someone's talking different. So then to get these text messages of like, oh, I made it. And then, oh, by the way, I'm on my way home when I'm really not. 
yeah is just kind of weird too and i don't understand why he would have made up the story about the guy giving him a ride home you know what i mean like why would he have said why that would you go yeah and make that up I wonder, and this is pure allegedly and speculation, I wonder if, because he had dealt with them before and everything was fine, I wonder if some sort of argument happened. Maybe the guy didn't have all the money or tried to reason with him or something. Because um, his, I think they believe that him saying he arrived safely, like texting his dad, that's legit. It's right. the, the it's text the messages after. So I wonder if something happened while they were there, while he was there. And... That's why I wonder about the money. Like, is, you know, was it pulled out of the bank? Did he actually have that money? Like, you know, we need I don't to know. always track the money. Yeah. Always. So that's but, why I'm like, there's a lot of questions. Are investigators just not telling us all these things because it's not such a public case, but they know the answers to these things? Or like, what's really going on? Because I, Zach's dad also says in that Facebook group, like, there's more going on that you mm-hmm. guys don't know about. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's what I wonder. I think he has a little more information than we do. And um, I would like to put my faith in the police and believe that they thoroughly looked into everything that they could. But I also think they don't, there isn't a lot of information that we know about the case, or at least not a lot of evidence that is known. So they might be holding anything they have close to the chest to like, to try to integrity. preserve the case. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know, but I think about this case all the time. It's like I go one way or the other. It's either the investigators know more things, so they want to keep the integrity of the case, so they don't want to tell people, or they're not doing their job. Because how many mm-hmm. true crime cases do we know where like the investigators botch the cases? Yeah, so that's my, what I'm afraid of. So my conspiracy of. brain goes like, it's got to be one way or the other. That's what I'm afraid of is I'm yeah 10 years this year on the 23rd. And what if, what if they just didn't do their job well and it could have been solved immediately? You know, exactly. I want to believe that's not the case, especially because I'm not there. I don't know, but I wonder now with Sean Kosky, his is even weirder. Yeah. What's weird is that. And I think it's one of those two where they, they don't even know if, if, it's possible that foul play was involved. Like there's just so little information. They don't know. Did he wander off and get hurt or have a seizure? But what I wonder is if that happened, assuming maybe he went outside just to smoke a cigarette and went for a walk. Like I feel like they would have found him. They did such a search. Yeah. Like such a big search in that area, like pretty quickly. Like I feel like they would have found him if he just had a seizure while he was out or You know what I mean? Yeah, no, these are, this is why these cases always baffle me because it's like sometimes you have instances where, with like Hannah Graham, the case we recorded before this one, where they had so much CC footage on her, you know, and so Mm -hmm. many eyewitness statements, like you could track her. And then sometimes you have these cases where it's like people just vanish, like literal no trace. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, because we're, it freaks me out. Yeah. Then I wonder, like, did somebody come up to the house? Like maybe like who was he maybe trying to buy some marijuana or maybe someone stopping by to see him or something like did someone come to the house and then he left and that's why he's not in that search area. I just like I'm stuck on the fact of that. They have done searches, multiple searches. They ended up finding the sandals like people go out in that area anyways. It's been also um, 10 years 
almost 11 in September. And we haven't found a single trace of him either. In 10 years in our location, you know, like in this location in, in Oregon is so wooded that 10 years later, the overgrow mm-hmm. that happens, like even trying to find a body in this kind of like terrain would be so difficult. Yeah, that's But true. again, it's like, I have more questions. <laughs> Did his cell phone get traced? Like, is there text messages between people of like them bringing, coming to meet up with him out there? That's like, yeah. the question I have. Like, what does his cell phone say? Because, yeah, back then you could subpoena the phone record if, if he was in danger and stuff and see his text message even without the phone. I mean, I believe exactly. that's how it worked. I have those two and his family also. Both of the families of Zach and Sean don't believe that their loved one is still alive. But both of them just want answers. They want to be able yeah. to lay them to rest properly. Uh, Myron mentioned that he feels like, actually, I think it might have been Rebecca Porter, the Zach's mom was like, he's just out there somewhere. Like, I don't, he's not trash. You can just throw him away like trash. Like, we want him home so we can lay him to rest, have a place to visit him. Like, it's just really sad to think that I, I think about these like cases every time I hear about a body is found. I can't imagine what the family goes through. No, it's awful. And just, I think the not knowing is what drives you crazy. Yeah. Like at least when you know what happened or you find a body, like there's that closure yeah. that you have. But I mean, I could imagine, you know, my loved one disappearing. And then are you thinking that they just ran away? Like, did they just leave us? Did they just abandon us? Did someone murder them? Was it an accident? Like, yeah. I can't imagine your mind ever getting to rest. And I think that's the sad truth about what we do when we talk about these cases. Cause you see, you know, Zach's dad talk about it in that Facebook group. He posts, you guys go check out that Facebook group. If yeah. you know, just see it and show some support. Zach's dad is in there all the time. Just like celebrating Zach's birthday. Freaking. I am bawling every time. <laughs> I'm bawling every time, you know, talking about his birthday coming up and you know, the anniversaries and they don't get to rest. So that's why it's so heartbreaking when we don't have closure in these cases because we know the families are never resting. Yeah. And there's a lot of photos in both of them also. You get to kind of see like there's goofy photos of Zach at, you know, the bar with his friends or just hanging out with his friends or pictures of him as a baby, you know, and there's pictures of um, Sean as well on the Facebook page. So you get to get to see a little bit of their personality and, you know, empathize sympathize with the family but yeah Yeah. definitely go follow both of the groups and if you have any information because loyalties change you know like things like that please reach out the families deserve to know even anonymous tips you Mm -hmm. know if you heard oh i you know i heard this person was going to go meet up with sean right like just let the police know what what you know even if you feel like it's not important because just the littlest thing could be what we need. Yeah, absolutely. You can find sources for this episode in the show notes. To view photos about the case, check out our Instagram at Maleficence Podcast. Thank you for listening to Maleficence. If you like the show, make sure to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and share with your friends. Then follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Maleficence Podcast. We'll see you next Friday with a brand new episode.